I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k flats. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Rod Hill for FM News. One of those. Quiet, please. Ladies and gentlemen. You ready for the big show? In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. This is the Lars Larson Show. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Lars. No. Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. I almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show, and welcome to Tuesday on the Radio Northwest Network. I want to talk about snow, because I think both the states of Oregon and Washington are up against some major challenges, and they go to a couple of places. One is COVID and the jab. One is money, and of course, money's always an issue when you deal with government agencies. Let me tell you my take on that, and we'll get your opinion and your input as well. Welcome to the program. If you want to jump into that conversation, it's 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. If you happen to be one of our wonderful naysayers, somebody who disagrees with my point of view, you're not only welcome, you're going to go right to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. If you'd rather, send an email to talk at LarsLarson.com, and you can vote in our poll on X. Used to call it the Twitter poll. It's now the poll on X. Should lawmakers in both Oregon and Washington offer up some tax relief to citizens? Now, I know that in Washington state, they are sitting on a $1.3 billion surplus that was generated largely by the carbon tax that was the scam that Jay Inslee pushed on the state. State lawmakers voted for it, all of them Democrats, um, but it generated a gigantic amount of money, more than they ever expected. So now the question is, what to do with it? And you know what? This one splits pretty easily on party lines. If you're a Democrat, you say, whatever dime we have from the taxpayers, we will spend on something. We'll find something to spend it on. We can't ever bear the idea of giving it back. But there are there are some Republicans who say, yeah, we, we ought to give some of that back. And in fact, in this case, breaking the mold is State Senator Mark Mullet, Democrat of Issaquah, who actually has an idea to reduce some car tab costs. So I'll applaud him for that, for being one of the few members of the D party that actually believes in giving the money back. But House Republicans are backing a plan to send $214 checks back to everybody in the state who is a registered automobile owner. And in that, I think that mechanism is actually the best way to do it. 
rather than, say, hand it to Bob Ferguson, who just sent it out to all the people he thinks are going to vote for him as he runs for governor, like he did with the chicken checks and the tuna checks, instead, send the money back to the people who actually paid it. If you own a car, you buy gasoline. If you buy gasoline, you paid the carbon tax. The state took in far more money than it ever expected to take in, and they have a gigantic surplus, $1.3 billion. Now, in Oregon, you might think that my question, should lawmakers offer some tax relief, is already answered by the so-called tax kicker, which is in the state constitution. And it says, any time the state collects a lot more money than it expected to collect, then it has to redistribute uh, the money back to citizens citizens there are already plans to try to steal that money among those people who are trying to do it is steve novick a longtime uh, partisan lefty and a longtime politician he wants to send the money back based on income uh, whereas it's currently sent back based on how much you paid if you paid a lot in state taxes you get a lot back in the kicker if you didn't pay any state tax at all you don't get anything back that seems fair to me in the same way that, ironically, State Senator Mark Mullet, Democrat of Issaquah, says pay it back, reduce the car tab costs, and that will be a somewhat equitable way to distribute the money. Although, although of course, the people of Washington State have already spoken and said, we want our car tabs at 30 bucks. And then the court said, no, you citizens don't have a right to decide, which makes me want to bring up a side issue. We got word today that the uh, the elections officials in Washington state are in the process of certifying six different ballot measures. If they get the required number of signatures, they do this through by taking a spot check of some of the signatures. If they have the required number of signatures, then the proposals go to the legislature, and the legislature decides whether or not to put them in the ballot. I've wanted to gripe about this for a while. In the state of Oregon, if citizens want something to be put to a vote, they gather the necessary signatures, and it goes on the ballot. In Washington state, you get cheated of that opportunity to some extent because you have to go hat in hand to the state legislature, the same people whose lack of doing their job made the initiative necessary in the first place. And you have to say to them, we've collected 400,000 signatures. Would you pretty please put it on the ballot so we can all vote on it? Now, I think that step is unnecessary. I know there are people in Washington state government who pat themselves on the back all the time saying, why, we allow citizens to have a choice. Uh, they can either take what the legislature shovels out, much of it bad, and much of it comes to you in a barn shovel, which tells you what it is. Or you can, as citizens, go out and spend a gigantic amount of money and time and effort to gather all the signatures, and you still have to ask the state legislature. In other words, you're asking the very people who, if they were doing their job of truly representing the people of the state of Washington, you wouldn't need an initiative. So why should you ask, have to ask that bunch whether or not you can pretty please vote on an initiative? But that's the system that's in place right now. Maybe we can fix it later on. But there are six different initiatives that go to some of the biggest core issues that citizens actually care about which is why the state legislature is largely ignoring what the citizens want, because if they actually paid attention, as I said, they wouldn't have to have six initiatives. But let me get back to snow, and let me tell you why. 
The forecast, of course, is that the Cascade Mountains are going to get a huge amount of snow, snow measured in feet, probably most of it this weekend. But some of the snowflakes might actually start falling in some places, not in the mountains, but in the lower areas, as soon as tonight. So, as far as I'm concerned, the acid test for ODOT in this case, WashDOT's got a similar problem, comes when the snowflakes start to fall big time in the Pacific Northwest because, well, the state has already warned us that uh, you should expect reduced services. And why? Because they say somehow uh, we just don't have enough resources. I think that is hogwash. ODOT has an annual budget of over $3 billion every year, more than $6 billion every two years. ODOT has 4,500 full-time employees, and yet somehow when the forecast is for snow, they say, gosh, we don't, we don't have enough people or equipment or money or diesel or something to go out and plow the snow. Now, if that makes sense to any of you, I'd be glad to hear the naysayer call. In Washington State, it's almost worse because both states imposed COVID jab mandates that said, if you don't take the jab, this is a couple of years ago, we're going to have to fire you. And they got rid of a lot of their employees who actually did that job. Now, what I think they ought to do is go hire a bunch of those people back. But you've got agencies like ODOT, uh, an agency that hasn't built a new freeway in decades. And they say somehow we spend $3 billion plus of your money every single year. We don't build any new freeways. They haven't managed to build a new freeway bridge. And that project seems to be imperiled. And now they say we just don't have the extra cash out of a $3 billion budget and 4,500 full-time employees to be able to even plow snow. I invited ODOT to come on the show and give their response. ODOT in Don Hamilton, in the case of Don Hamilton at ODOT, said, no, we're not going to come on and answer your questions. The Northwest Nonsense is coming up next. Glad to be with you, and your calls are always welcome at 866-HEY-LARS. Talk at LarsLarson.com, and you're listening to the Radio Northwest Network. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k flats. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. When he talks, you have no choice but to listen. More with Lars. 
That makes a lot of sense, a lot of nonsense. Right, your body well right. You know he got a right to say. This is the Northwest Nonsense. How much longer do we have to sit for this nonsense? That great moment every day where Lars brings you the cold hard facts without any liberal wokeness from the daily dead, fish wrapper, or mainstream media bias. I must confess that I like Alaska Airlines, and when I have to fly, I almost always fly in Alaska. Other than that, I have no other dog in the fight, so they get some of my money. But this past week has not exactly burnished the reputation of the Northwest's air travel company. For safe air travel, that is. A door plug blows out of a plane 16,000 feet in the air, creating an emergency. Thank God everybody got back to the ground safely. Then we find out the airline already knew that plane had a problem. Pilots on that plane got pressurization warnings three different times on different flights before this one. Alaska Airlines considered that problem big enough that it limited that 737 MAX 9 to only flying over dry land. Then the door blew out. Did the crew on that flight get a pressurization warning light like uh, three previous flights? We may never know. Why? Because the crew forgot to follow procedure and shut down the cockpit voice recorded recorder after they landed. So the CVR recorded over all of the audio that happened that night. Meanwhile, 739, 737-MAX-9s are still grounded. And other airlines are finding that the bolts on those pressurized plugs are loose. We don't know how many loose screws Alaska has right now. As I said, not exactly the finest hour for air transportation in America. Glad to be with you on a Tuesday. Always glad to take your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. And naysayers go first. Our poll on X. Should lawmakers in Oregon and Washington take the excess funds they have and offer up some tax relief to citizens instead of simply spending all of the extra money? I would say yes, they should offer that up. I'd even endorse the idea of Democrat Mark Mullet of Essequah, who says, hey, Let's cut back car tab costs. That's one way to use some of that $1.3 billion surplus they're sitting on that was generated, I think, illegitimately by Jay Inslee's new carbon tax. And uh, today's Twitter poll is brought to you by our friends at Ultimate Trucking Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at ultimatetruckservice.com. Now, a related email from our friend Chuck Weiss, retired airline pilot. Lars, it is the flight crew's responsibility to shut down and secure an aircraft if it is the last flight of the day. And overnighting in an outstation, not having company maintenance on hand, then otherwise you do that. That includes removing power to the aircraft, and that includes the cockpit voice recorder. But that action will not erase the two hours of data on it without pressing the erase function switch. During a crew change, the exiting crew doesn't do anything with this on their shutdown checklist. It is the new crew that erases the cockpit voice recorder, providing the prior flight was clear of any incident that would otherwise require its preservation for the FAA. And yet in this case... They, sh they didn't shut it down. The audio was recorded over, and we won't know what was said in the cockpit from a recording. We'll know from the cruise version, but I'd like to hear the recording, and I'm wondering how it happened to get erased. Why did that happen? And now today's Daily Grill. Insane. Are you completely insane? Ridiculous. They get more and more ridiculous. Flat out dumb. You're even dumber than I thought. Who deserves today's Lars Grill of the Day? Maybe they're just really, really Find out right now.
I'm going to award today's Daily Grill based on uh, listener Steve Daker, who writes, Lars, we all heard weeks ago that Governor Tina Kotek is helping out Portland by furnishing state police in downtown Portland, and she wants to help the Portland School District because they need more money after their recent teacher contract. Last night, I read that Salem is experiencing a $1 billion funding shortfall, so Tina wants to help out Salem, too. Otherwise, the most visible departments in the city would have their budget cuts, like closing fire stations in the library, freezing hiring, and eliminating homeless services. So where does Tina get the funds to help out Portland and Salem? From revenue collected from every taxpayer in the state. No wonder the Democrats keep getting reelected. They take money from taxpayers in Beaver Creek, Malala, Oregon City, Pendleton, Bonanza, Malino, Bend, Silverton, and Grants Pass, and they send it to Salem and Portland. Salem and Portland are all about all anybody needs to get elected in Oregon. And I think Steve's analysis is right. They get today's Daily Grill. And now today's best email. Yeah, but you can always send more to talk at LarsLarson.com. Nick writes in, Lars, wow, great news that Intel will be given $90 million from Governor Kotek out of the Joe Biden administration's newly created semiconductor fund. Yep. It was touted that non-college educated folks can get jobs that started 35,000 a year. Well, that sounds great, except that under progressive Oregon, those same non-college educated folk can almost make that much, if not more, by not working by filing for unemployment. Sounds too good to be true, right? Follow the bouncing ball. For unemployment, the state pays 125% of the current applicant's gross salary or wage. So if a minimum wage earner in Washington County makes $14.20 an hour, $17.75 paid by unemployment gets a maximum of 21, 26 weeks. That's a gross income of $18,400. Add in EBT food benefits for 26 weeks. The minimum benefit is $565 a week, a total of $14,000. And don't forget, you can get 25% of your energy bills paid for for 26 weeks or six and a half months. An average bill of $200, that's an additional $325. Well, heck, that means the low-income minimum wage earner on unemployment can earn darn near the same amount by not working, a net result of 33475 If you work for it and get 35000 you actually take home just 24500 and you still have to pay for food and utilities. Just another example of why the progressive model of socialism does not work. Let's keep going backwards and let's go, Brandon. Sign Nick. Send those emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And, of course, you can always vote in our X poll, or the poll on X, should lawmakers in Oregon and Washington offer up some kind of tax relief to citizens. There are Republican proposals in the legislature and at least one Democrat who's saying maybe we should cut the cost of car tabs. Uh, Oregon could do the same because, as you know, even when you count in the amount of excess that will have to be sent back because it's guaranteed in the state constitution, that's the kicker, and that'll be about $5 billion that the state over-collected and now has to send back to taxpayers wouldn't it be nice if, as everything else is getting more efficient in almost every other part of your life, I mean, if somebody could tell me a part of life that technology and modern innovation has not made more efficient, I'd like to hear what it is. Cars are more efficient. Homes are more efficient. Energy production is more efficient until you get to wind and solar. With all that increased efficiency, why is it that government is constantly telling us 
why we need more people and more money to do the same job we were doing 10 or 20 or 30 years ago. Doesn't it make sense that while the rest of wor the world is getting more and more efficient, does it make sense that government gets less and less efficient all the time? Because it doesn't make sense to me. And I will give a, an attaboy to the folks at the King County Prosecutor's Office. They've now filed felony charges against an 18-year-old. The guy calls himself Kia Boy. He has apparently helped steal at least 13 cars between October of last year and January of this year. So a couple of months, 13 cars, and he brags about it online. Well, he's still in jail on $100,000 bail, and I hope he sits there until his trial. Back in just a moment, you're listening to Tuesday on the Radio Northwest Network. The Lars Larson Show. actually want to be at. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to take your phone calls and emails. I've called on our friend C.W. Jensen, former uh, police detective with Portland Police, now retired. But I wanted to ask him about something. C.W., thanks for coming back on, and Happy New Year since we haven't talked to you since the new year. Yeah, you too, Lars. So they have this 10-hour traffic jam on one of the major freeway bridges in Portland, Mark, Markham, Free, Markham Bridge, uh, that carries Interstate 5 up the east bank of the Willamette River. And it finally ends. The guy who was threatening to jump, or the police believed it, he was getting ready to jump from the bridge. Um, this seems so strange because the police literally said he was up on the on the bridge he was on the outside of the fence that's supposed to keep people from jumping off the bridge or throwing things off the bridge and they finally said we finally determined the reason he was still there was because we were there so he agreed to leave if we would leave and they that's the the out they negotiated and this guy having jammed up a major freeway for 10 hours which i think is a violation at the very least if not a crime uh is allowed to simply walk away and he wasn't mental enough that they took him on a mental hold. So how, do, how, how should people understand what just happened? Well, you have to look at what the goal is. Um, the goal was not to be embarrassed if you're the police department, right? The police yep. bureau doesn't want to be embarrassed. So what, what are the worst things that could happen? Well, if there's traffic underneath, he could do a backflip and smash into some citizen's car, um, you know, or the cops are talking to him and he flips and he hits the, you know, if he had been at a downtown parking structure, no one would have cared. But they go to the freeways because they get attention. And so I think the police, you know, you get there and there's some procedures you do. I was a hostage negotiator. There's these different things you do. But occasionally, and it doesn't happen a lot, you do walk away. You go, we're not accomplishing anything. I'm not saying that's what I would have done, but I certainly wasn't there, and I don't know all the dynamics and things like that. But I think that the goal here was not having the police bureau be the cause of this guy leaping off the bridge. And, and so now when they left, could he have jumped off the bridge? Sure. You know, but, you know, you kind of take the odds. What are we thinking? Well, let's just leave. Okay. I mean, today, and it worked. And no one will remember this in two weeks. So right. in this case, the police bureau 
won. Now, did they waste hours of time and did they inconvenience tons of people? Yeah, I mean, I could come up with five different things he could get arrested for. Um, and maybe they'll try to track him down. You know, I don't know. We don't know. I think it was a male, but we don't know race. It was. We don't know it was a age. man. It was a man. But, and yeah, I assume was, that if they were interacting with him for 10 hours, that they likely found out who he was or found out at least his name and his description and a picture. That's the part that bothers me. Do, do I want to see them preserve life? Yeah. Do I want to keep them you know, from jumping, whether he's going to land on somebody else and hurt somebody else? I don't want him to die either. But having, but saying, okay, if we leave the bridge, will you leave the bridge? And he says yes, then tag him down on the ground. You know, don't tell him that you're going to arrest him, but everybody who commits a crime should have some consequence when your actions have action, have consequences for the public. And it seems though we're getting to the point where, you know, Seattle just had a major freeway that was jammed up for five hours and, and all of the people involved in deliberately doing that got no consequence whatsoever. None. No arrests, nobody taken into custody, nobody cited. And and we're becoming more of a no-consequence society where, like you said, people want to get attention. So they go out and they do crazy things, sometimes dangerous for them, sometimes dangerous for the rest of us. And then there are no consequences. So do you think we're going to get more of that stuff if, if there are no consequences when people do it? Yeah, I think we will. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, Lars, that thing in Seattle and these people blocking the the freeways and stuff. I mean, I looked at that one in Seattle. I didn't think there was 50 protesters. You telling me 30 cops couldn't come in there and drag them off? It just makes no sense to me anymore. I think there um, were, they, they know, claimed there were 200 in the group. They, I, there, I guess there were 50 who were really the ones that were instrumental for stopping the 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 traffic and they apparently abandoned about a dozen cars there so you want to stop a freeway you go get four or five cars that that function but aren't worth much you drive you get on the freeway at the same time you stop your car you jam the whole freeway up then when the police show up you refuse to leave and the police just stand there like bumps on a log and say we're not going to arrest anybody we're not going to take any action and that may be their orders from higher-ups but it seems like that kind of thing has the potential at some point for people to get hurt. An angry driver who says, look, I'm late already, and you guys are just jamming up the freeway. We've certainly seen it in foreign countries, videos from foreign countries of citizens who get really angry, and they go up and they just start dragging the protesters to the side. That seems like encouraging that behavior by not having any consequences when people do it seems like a great way to get more of it. And at some point, somebody's going to get ticked off. And they're going to say, if the cops won't act, then I'm going to act. Now, could you blame a citizen for having that attitude? No, and, and any parent can tell you, if your child acts out and you take no action or you affirm their misbehavior, the misbehavior continues. And so we've got all these people that apparently have no jobs and they can go sit on the freeway. But I'm just saying, with a certain number of officers, you could at least drag two lanes free and stand there and go, if you try to get past us, you're going to jail. And um, I'd take them to jail anyway. I mean, at least disorderly conduct. And I'm sure there's all sorts of laws about disrupting traffic and things like that. But until, and, and I mean, in Oregon and Washington, 
I'm really, I mean, we haven't had anything like that down here in Phoenix. And, um, I'll bet. Well, I CW, my proposal, my proposal five, six years ago, and this is when the BLM stuff started happening. Everybody wants to tag it to George Floyd, but that BLM crap was going on a long time before that, and so was Antifa. And they said, well, we can't arrest all of them. I said, why not? You got an endless supply of zip cuffs. You've got transit buses in whatever city you're in. Why don't you just start zip cuffing these people and load them on the bus? And they said, well, what do you do with them then? I said, write them a citation and then drive them to the most far-flung police precinct you've got and drop them off and say, here's your court date. And if you don't show up for court, you're going to have a warrant out for you. And, and make it have some consequence at low cost to the public. The low cost is zip cuff them, load them on a bus, take them a few miles away to the police precinct, drop them off and tell them to find their own way home. Do that a few times. And how much more of that nonsense are we going to get? Yeah, you take, you know, it, it's the classic thing. You take one down, and then everybody else gets worried, and then you take two and three, and all of a sudden, now they'll be screaming, I can't breathe. It'll be the whole thing, and that's what they're afraid of. They don't like bad television, but they're bad people doing bad things. You're going to have bad television, and if you want to be the police department that everybody loves, yeah, you're in the wrong place. Yeah, you don't want to do policing because policing is corrective activity. And all the rest of us, I park my car in the wrong place, I get a ticket. I go over speed, I get a ticket. Haven't had one of those in 20-plus years. But the point is that you've got to have some consequences. And all of a sudden, we've got this whole crowd of people who get to do whatever the hell they want with no consequences whatsoever. And I, I, I draw the same conclusion you do. It's like having a badly behaved kid who never gets corrected. Well, guess what? You're going to get more of it. That is retired police homicide detective C.W. Jensen. C.W., thanks so very much. It's a Tuesday. I'll get to your calls in the next segment at 866-HEY-LAWS. And naysayers always go first. And guess what? Arizona is the first of the states, although I think it'll happen here in the Northwest as well, to tell illegal aliens with a wink and a nod, yes, you can vote in the next presidential election. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges, but how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Broadcasting from his socially distanced bunker to yours. 
It's sanitized entertainment. Welcome Here's back to the Lars, Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on a Tuesday. Glad to get your calls and your emails. Talk at LarsLarson.com. Like Jack, who says, Lars, are they trying to cover up the real reason that uh, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin was in the hospital? Rumor has it it wasn't because of cancer. It was due to his beginning his transition to be Lola Austin. No, it turns out it's prostate cancer, but that is pretty funny, given how woke the Pentagon has become under uh, Lloyd Austin's leadership. Uh, it's a little bit of a mess. And then I got a note, and this is interesting, about the Alaska Airlines flight. Lars, I'm not going to use the guy's name. You should not point the finger at Alaska Air for the recent depressurization. The plug was undoubtedly installed in Renton by Boeing mechanics. I'd point out to Boeing's practice of hiring people that is not based on merit or skill. Also, pressure warnings are not uncommon in commercial aircraft. Alaska wisely does not allow aircraft with a pressurization issue to fly long routes over water because of a depressurization. You have to drop to 10,000, use more fuel, and it makes it hard to find an alternative. And just say, he says, just call me a former Boeing en engineer. And he said, normally plugs like that are put in place permanently. They are not to be removed later and is covered by interior panels. It is not a regular maintenance item like a door. That particular aircraft only had 145 flight cycles. So the issue undoubtedly is the fault of the Renton factory where they in were installed before delivery. That sort of thing sh would not have happened in a Boeing factory in the past. And I think that's interesting as well. To your calls, let's start with Rachel in Mount Vernon, Washington. Rachel, welcome to the Radio Northwest Network, and thanks for listening on KVI. What's on your mind? I wanted to say that I think the person that was jumping from the overpass, I think the, the police did the right thing with him to just leave him alone. Because I don't think this is like a set-the-precedent thing. I don't think there's going to be people lining up to jump off of overpasses because this one guy didn't get zip tied uh, on this particular night this is more of a mental health issue the, no one got thing and i think they should be awarded for that no one got hurt and i think that's a good goal a starter goal but rachel they determined not to take him in on a mental health hold so if he's not mentally disturbed enough to to take him into a mental health hold should he have to have some consequence for an action that that jammed up a major freeway for 10 hours, which is, by the way, a violation of the law. I agree with you. However, I think his internal suffering is enough punishment for him. Yeah, and, and the idea that he's not going to be back up on the bridge in a week or two, is, does you think that's likely? Like I said, I don't think I don't think there's a bunch of people lining up to jump off of overpass. Well, I'm not talking about other people. I'm talking people. about him. If he's a guy... Have you ever got to a, I mean, that maybe that's a personal question, but I've never been in a point where I thought I was going to jump off a bridge. If I did today, yeah. and then the police talked me into walking off the bridge, do you think if I, whatever it was that got me to the edge of jumping off a bridge, do you think that that's going to simply go away on its own? No, but maybe someone could reach out to him and tell him to go to church. You know, yeah. this is a time for those old values to step in. This is not about punishment. You don't punish a person who's ill. No, you, but, but you're assuming he's out. ill and the police decided not to take him on a mental hold, which means they didn't see enough crazy in him to take him on a police mental hold. Are task, police are task saturated and we can't accept them, uh, expect them to be, you know, giving everybody a mental um a rundown. They're not outfitted for well, that. But except one of the points the you made about them being tasked. You're right that they're task saturated, and this one tied up a bunch of cops for 10 hours. So this one person manages to waste 
the resources of a number of cops, not just the people it's trapped on the freeway. Huh? It's frustrating, but it sometimes it takes a village to get a man off of a freeway overpass. Yeah, and like I, I said, there's not a bunch the of people is waiting to jump off case. of overpass. Because in well, this case, opinion, no action will be taken. This guy's got to get reached out for some support from a church. No one's going to be lining up to jump off of overpasses because this guy didn't get punished. Okay, and this guy got no consequences, which tells me he may do it again. Maybe not anybody else, but Rachel, you're a good naysayer. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Bob in Salem. Hey, Bob, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. Hi, Lars. This is in regards to uh, the city of Salem tried to enact a payroll tax on everybody that worked in, within the city, whether they were a resident or not. The voters took it shot on themselves down. to it, Yes, and the voters it came up for referendum, went down big time, and there's an article in the local paper today that now Governor Kotek, as you mentioned this morning, is going to, or this afternoon, was uh, on board with trying to help Salem fund that. And the same old story, we're going to cut police, fire, and they say homeless. Well, I'm a retired firefighter, and my contacts with the city of Salem Fire, some of their career captains said, well, their union purposely didn't endorse that tax because, number one, it's not fair. Number two, yep. they knew it was going to be a loser. And I said, are you guys going to are you going to have to close fire stations? No, Bob. Through attrition, we're not going to have any new hires for a while, but we're not closing any fire stations. That's just the same old ploy. Cut so so the politicians fire. lied about it. I mean, and, and, and it's really, it. you know, they, ordinarily, Bob, what do we call people who lie in an effort to get money from people? I call them fraud artists. I call them criminals. Sure. When politicians lie to us to get our money under false pretenses, that's fraud, and it's a crime, and it ought to be punished. I am so sick of hearing that when it's not true, and now the governor's on board with that, trying to help our friends there with the city of Salem to get sympathy for that when it's not even true. No, I think she ought to tell them to suck it up and say, you want to bail out? Go to your voters. Oh, you already went to the voters and they said no? Then live within your means. Too bad. Tough luck. I, I, I agree with you, Bob. It's Tuesday. It's the Radio Northwest Network and the Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. If it's so, exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. Lars. This is the Lars Larson Show. Our beloved Republic.
Republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Live now. Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. I almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm glad to get to your calls in just a moment. I want to talk to our friend, Senator Phil Fortunato, who I think is trying to do a King Solomon. He wants to try to find a way to cut things down the middle, and it's a big issue that we've talked about a bunch involving transgender athletes in particular, which to me means biological males who are allowed to compete against and beat biological women, girls, in college and high school sports. And, of course, you saw the train wreck in Ohio where the people's representatives passed a bill that I thought was pretty reasonable. It protected women in women's sports and girls in girls' sports. It uh, it forbid uh, surger- surgery on children to change them from male to female or, or otherwise or to give them hormones. So, you know, the governor at that point, uh, Republican, by the way, Mike DeWine, said, well, no, I'm going to veto the bill, but I'm going to pass an executive order. And as strange as it sounds, said, uh, we're not going to allow surgery with a knife on boys and girls, but we will allow chemical castration of boys and girls, which made exactly zero sense to me, if you think I never criticize Republicans. But, Senator Fortunato, welcome back to the program. How are you? Well, thanks for having me on. You know, this uh, this issue, I, I mean, realistically, when you look at it, it's stupid. It's a stupid yes, issue. It is. Everybody yep. knows, everybody knows, hey, you're a guy that can't compete against other guys, so you decide to keep, compete against women. What the bill does is very simply, instead of focusing on gender and self-identification, it uses those two things together. In other words, if you are a XX chromosome, and you identify as a woman, then you would compete against other people that have XX chromosomes that identify as women. Yep. If you're an XY and you identify as a woman, then you would compete against other XYs who identify as women. So you're not competing against uh, women that identify as women, you're competing against men that identify as women. And, and then the reverse is true. Although it doesn't work as well. It seems to always work against the young ladies and the women. And it never works against the guys, right? Well, that's because, that's because if you're a loser guy and you can't compete against other guys, then the only way to win is to compete against women. (laughs) But even if you are a top flight female athlete, if you compete against biological men, you're, you're gonna lose in most cases. And we've seen lots and lots of public examples of it. So how, what have you determined is the right way to kind of cut this down the middle and fix this problem before it ruins a whole bunch of young female athletes? Well, so that this, this, this does address the issue by simply saying, if you, instead of focusing on gender and self-identification of gender, we're going to focus on what is your chromosomes, okay? You got an XX chromosome and you identify as a woman, a woman, and then you compete against other XXs that identify as women. And this would also transgen, uh, transcend into the bathroom and the shower issue. 
You know, so in, in instead of having male and female, you would in effect have four categories. You would have women that are that identify as women, men that identify as women, <laughs> men that identify as men, and women that identify as men. And just do it that way. I mean, I, this is crazy that we're even talking about this, but it, uh, it's a pretty simple solution, I think. Well, and, and so the bill would actually protect biological women in sports is the, is the net effect of it, right? Well, and it also protects biological men from... <laughs> well, yeah, if they needed to be protected. Against women. <laughs> but, but tell me this, what are your Democrat colleagues going to say about this? Because I get the feeling they're, 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 they're going to want to kill this bill. Well, I, I'm, it's funny you should say that. I spent, I know, about half an hour, 40 minutes going around to each Democrat looking for a co-sponsor, and so far I haven't had any bites. Not one? No. Nope. Wow. Well, I mean, I'll keep working on it. I actually have till 5 o'clock today to see if anybody can sign on to the bill. But when you go to them with a the bill, I've always wanted to know how this works. You go to them and say, is it fair to allow biological males to compete against females? And we've all seen what the result is in weightlifting, in swimming, in wrestling, in a hundred different sports. And we've seen physical injuries to young ladies when, when biological males are allowed to play as female members of, say, volleyball teams. Young women sometimes end up going to the hospital. So when you tell this to your Democrat colleagues, do they I mean, do they say, well, it sucks to be women then? Sucks to be girls? Well, They're I just going to be on the I, losing end? I mean, to me, I mean the, the big pitch is really sports fairness. It's fairness in sports. That's what yeah. it is. It's yeah. a fairness issue. It's an equity issue, to use their term, you know. And uh, uh, is it fair to have this, you know, a, a, a biological woman compete against a guy who is obviously a guy? You know, no matter what he self-identifies as, he's a guy. And um, uh, as you point out, this is not this is not a, a, a you know a whimsical thing. People are getting hurt. Ninety-nine and forty-four, one hundred percent of those people are women. So this is, you know, this is uh, uh you know, it, it needs to be addressed. We simply cannot keep going on and ignoring. You know, 10,000 years of human history and say, oh, I self-identify as a woman all of a sudden. I mean, it's, it's, uh, but, you know, I mean, it, to me, it's just fairness. So when I go to them, I say, hey, this is a fairness in sports bill and so far no bites. Yeah, they're, they're, they're cowards. You know, I mean, they, they, they may say, like. they may say the classic, I agree with you, but I'm not going there. <laughs> because they're cowards. I mean, I, I'm sorry, but I, I know there are cowards on the Republican side of the aisle, but it seems like there are more cowards among the Democrats. So they, they admit that there are going to be young women who get cut out of college scholarships. There are young women who are going to end up, you know, winning the, the bronze instead of the gold medal because the gold medal is going to go to men in the men's division and it's going to go to men in the women's division as well. And I wish we could shame uh, these people who used to claim they were the champions of women. We've got to make women able to have the same opportunities as men. What do they say when you say you just gave all the women's opportunities away to other men? Well, they, they point to the fact that this is really a transgender bill. And I said, it's not a transgender bill. It's a fairness bill. <laughs> it's, you know? I mean, it's, are we going to have fairness in sports or not? That's what this is about. And, um, uh, but I mean, I got till five o'clock. We'll see if anybody signs on.
I'll tell you what, if you can get that thing out of committee, Senator Fortunato, and get it on the floor or even in the committee, I would love to have you or your staff grab some of the video of what your Democrat colleagues have to say in defending the idea of biological men competing against biological women. Uh, but you just made the argument why they would not bring it up in committee. <laughs> so they're going to they're, they're some some chair is going the chair of the committee is going to simply sit on this bill all the way through the yeah. 44 days right see people people don't understand what it's what what they have done when they give the other side control they control everything they control what bills get heard they control what bills get out of committee they control what bills come to the floor for a vote Absolutely right. That's Senator Phil Fortunato. Senator, good luck with it. Is there not a single Democrat in the entire state of Washington that's willing to stand up for actual, real, biological women? Back in a moment, I'll get to your phone calls and emails, and I'll tell you about reporters who get arrested for asking questions. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k flats. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Because you can't get enough, Lars. Podcast every show at LarsLarson.com. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm glad to get to your phone calls and emails. Can you imagine being in a country in which if you're a reporter and you approach a, an elected public official, in this case the Deputy Prime Minister of Canada, and you ask questions that that person does not like, or the people around them, the staff members to this young lady who is the Deputy Prime Minister of Canada, if you could be arrested by the police for merely asking the questions. Now, I want to tell you the details of this story, but first, welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. If you want to join what we call the best conversation in talk journalism, it's right here every day at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And you can vote in our uh, X poll. You'll find the question every day at Lars Larson Show on X, formerly known as Twitter. You can also find it on my website at LarsLarson.com. Now, I have to tell you a little bit of background because I do have a dog in the fight. You know that I'm a journalist today, but I'm an opinion journalist. But I was a reporter for about 20 years. And one of the things that people, sometimes politicians, do not understand is that if I approach you in public, I can take your picture. I can uh, ask you questions. 
if you don't like the questions and you don't want to answer the questions, that's too bad. Because I can still ask the questions, I can still approach you in public. But America has a First Amendment. It doesn't give journalists any superior rights to those of average citizens. The average citizen could walk down the street and if he or she recognized the Prime Minister, you know, Trudeau, uh, or recognized the Deputy Prime Minister in Canada, or in America, if you recognize the governor or the mayor of the city you live in, you'd be allowed, you're, you're allowed, you're certainly entitled to be able to walk up and ask some questions. Now, they don't have to answer your questions, but you can ask the questions. You can even snap their pictures if you're in a public uh, setting, if you're in a place where that person has no expectation of privacy. Except guess what just happened in Canada, where they don't have a First Amendment that protects free speech or freedom of the press. A reporter by the name of David Menzies, I don't know David Menzies, but he works for an outfit called Rebel News. And he wanted to ask a few questions of Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland. And he approached her in the right way. She was at some kind of public event. She was leaving the event. She was on a public sidewalk. He walked up to her. He didn't get right in her face. He stood off to one side. She was walking down the sidewalk. He walked with her. He walked about three feet uh, to one side of her. He didn't get in her path. He wasn't obstructing her ability to travel. Uh, he was just asking her questions, and apparently she didn't like the questions that he was being asked. Now, this was a memorial service that she'd been attending. The memorial was for when, uh, about three, oh, almost four years ago, it was four years ago yesterday, the Iranian military shot down uh, a flight, uh, a commercial airliner, PS-752, and there were people killed uh, when that plane was shot down, and Menzies was asking about the pro-Hamas protests that are treated so much more fairly than the Canadian trucker protests that happened two years ago. And he said the Canadian government has yet to designate the folks who shot that flight down, the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps. It's the IRGC, which is a terrorist organization out of Iran. Uh, the military, the IRGC at least, is sort of a government unto itself because the mad mullahs can make suggestions to them, but they certainly don't call the shots the way the commander-in-chief in America, at least in theory, calls the shots. So this reporter is asking questions for maybe a minute, maybe 60 seconds as he walks down the street. And I can't tell you how many times that I've tried to get a public official, one kind or another, uh, could be a police chief, could be a mayor, city council member, member of Congress, whatever. You walk down the sidewalk with them. You don't have any more right to occupy the sidewalk than they do. Uh, you don't have any right to force them to stop. If they decide to stop and talk to you, they can. If they decide to keep on walking, as this young lady, Christia Freeland, the deputy prime minister did, she can do that. But as David Menzies is asking her these questions about the way that pro-Hamas terrorism protests are being treated and about how the trucker protests, the Canadian government came, if you don't remember when that happened, but when the truckers were protesting in 2022, um, the Canadian government froze their bank accounts, sent the police after them, did all kinds of things that Justin Trudeau's government is not doing when the people come out and protest in favor of terrorism and when they take actions that are illegal as well. So, guess what happens? He's walking down the street with her. She's walking fast and he's walking fast as well. You can see the video of it because when I hear about one of these complaints, a reporter arrested for merely asking questions, usually I'm skeptical because I'll think, well, maybe he did something else. Maybe he assaulted the person. 
David Menzies didn't do that. No, what you see in the video is a couple of cops come up and grab this guy and haul him off to one side and hold him while the deputy prime minister of that country leaves. This is what they're doing. If your questions do not match what the leadership of that country, and I think the leadership of this country, wants you to be asking, they will use every tool in the book to try to shut you down. So here's what happened. David Menzies is trying to get past an RCMP officer who grabs a hold of the reporter, which, by the way, if you don't have a legal cause to grab a hold of somebody, then that's considered assault. And he grabs Menzies and says, you're under arrest for assault. And he says, how am I under arrest? You bumped into me. And one officer told Menzies he was almost pushing everybody over. Well, if you don't believe me, take a look at the video. We'll post it up on my website. But the, these are the tools that are going to be used by those in power to stay in power. They don't want to be asked inconvenient questions about, well, hold on, why are you not going after these terrorists? Why is it that some protest groups get hands-off treatment from the police and other protest groups end up with all kinds of trouble? And my favorite example of that, of course, is the man who went to a pro-life rally with his 12-year-old son, and his 12-year-old son was being accosted by a woman, and, uh, and the father got in the way and merely pushed her back. He was protecting his son. He didn't knock her down, didn't hurt her, didn't do any of that, and yet he ends up in America with an FBI SWAT team on his front doorstep to arrest him and haul him in on charges. These are the tactics that are starting to be used. And I hate to say it because if you've listened to this show for any length of time, you know that I'm a supporter of the police. But I always say, as long as they're following the law and their department's procedure, when the police begin to be used by the powers that be to carry out political missions, to go out and arrest critics of the government or critics of the point of view, in this case it was the pro-life issue, in the case of Canada and David Menzies, all he was trying to do was point out with questions the hypocrisy of the Canadian government, that the Canadian government can stage a memorial for all the lives lost on that day when the IRGC shot down a plane full of civilians, and they'll have a memorial service, but will they actually take the actions they could take against the IRGC by declaring them what they are, what the United States considers them to be part of the terrorist operation known as the state of Iran? The government isn't going to do that, nor are they going to go after Antifa or BLM. And in this election year, you should be especially attuned to these issues. Watch for this to happen, because I'll try to point it out when I can. But when you see the government used to hang on to political power, then America is rapidly degrading into kind of country that the old Soviet Union used to be, that Cuba still is, that Venezuela is, where those in power use the apparatus of government to punish anybody who disagrees with them. Glad to get your calls at 866-439-5277. You've got the Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. Historical Foundation, Inc. LarsLarson.com. He actually reads them. More with Lars right now.
Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to get to your calls. I want to tell you about a recent Joe Biden executive order that seems to be a way to help the Democrats win an unwinnable presidential election for Joe Biden. And to do that, I want to talk to our friend Fred Lucas, who is chief news correspondent for The Daily Signal and author of the book, The Myth of Voter Suppression. Fred, welcome back to the program. How are you? Oh, uh, great. Thanks for having me on. So tell me about this executive order. What is it that uh, Joe Biden did to ch- change the rules without going through the Congress, but just through the bureaucracy? Well, yeah, uh, you, you might remember uh, Democrats did push a uh, uh, bill uh, a few years ago in uh, Biden's first year in office to try to just have a total federal election takeover. Uh, they failed to get that through, but uh, Biden did the uh, vast executive order uh, that put um, – an all-of-government approach, every agency is supposed to uh, work to increase voter participation. And that's, that's uh, uh, you got to look at the language there. It's not even increase voter registration. It's increase voter participation. Uh, and that in- ended up including, um, uh, at, with taxpayer, on the taxpayer dime, uh, federal agencies working with uh, left-wing organizations like Demos, which is a, a far-left think tank out of New York, like uh, the ACLU, uh, and uh, the Biden administration has been very secretive about this whole how they're implementing this whole order. Uh, uh, we've been getting dribs and drabs through uh, Freedom of Information Act requests at the Daily Signal, and uh, what we've discovered last week was the uh, Office of Personnel Management uh, is in a full-fledged push to uh, crank out the federal bureaucrats, basically. Uh, now, federal bureaucrats vote, or, or believe the least, proceed to vote overwhelmingly Democrat. Uh, yep. uh, we looked at their separately, separately from the documents we got through the administration. We looked at uh, looked up campaign finance data, found 94% of the federal employee PACs, the uh, AFGE PAC, uh, donates to Democrats. Um, so it's like uh, um, massively, uh, 94% there, uh, and. Uh, this is basically just another case of the administration uh, working to turn out their voters. And, turn out their voters, um, which, which I guess yeah, by exactly. itself doesn't sound you, too you, bad. You, if you say, no, we, no, no. We it, want people that's to vote. nothing wrong with that, but yeah, right. yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. But you're putting the force of the federal government behind it, and you're using government resources behind that. Well, not only that, but they've now agreed to carve out paid administrative leave. To encourage exactly. some of these federal bureaucrats to work as poll workers, yeah, and and that that could be a a potentially a bigger problem than just four hours for voting. That yeah, they they've carved out time for working as uh, basically an election administration uh, positions, and um, if, as a poll worker, that gives you uh, some. A glimpse behind uh, how, how things are working and so forth, and and that could give these uh, partisan players uh, potentially a leg up. Uh, as as one House member said, the chairman of the House Administration Committee uh, called Democrats trying to get their thumb on the scale of the elections. Well, and in fact, one of the things I saw out of Arizona that's going on, you know, if you have federal government, loyal Democrats working as poll workers, and now the state of Arizona, and I'm not sure they're the only state, I wouldn't believe they're the only state that are doing this, they say, 
uh, about illegal aliens. I mean, Joe Biden's allowed nine million illegals to come into the country. Some have been sent home, but the vast majority have stayed. And Arizona now says, well, you have to be a citizen to register to vote. But then they kind of do a wink and a nod, and they say, but you're not required to submit any proof that you're a citizen when you register. But if you're registering and you're not a citizen, you're breaking the law, which is is them saying, yeah, we're not going to make you show any proof that you're qualified to vote. We'll sign you up to vote, but we're warning you, you know, if, if you're not legally voting, you're, you're you know, you, you could be in trouble. But but, you know, in most cases, they don't pursue those kinds of of violations. So they may, con- I guess, conceivably have millions of people who are illegal aliens who are encouraged to go down, sign up to vote. They won't ask you for proof of citizenship and you can cast a ballot. And who are they going to be thankful to? Donald Trump, who had the most secure border in recent American history, or Joe Biden, who has the most wide open border in recent American history? Well, uh, so, something I have in, in my book, it, thank you for mentioning that earlier, the myth of voter suppression, uh, it, uh, it talks about uh, what is essentially Tammany Hall 2.0. And just to explain that real quick, Tammany Hall was this uh, massive um, Democratic machine that operated out of New York, but it had national influence. And uh, among the things they did, they had... Uh, migration mills. As soon as people got off the boats, there were uh, Tammany Hall signing them up to vote Democrat, and uh, they, they would work to get people out of prison to vote Democrat. Um, I, I should mention part of what this Biden executive order that we're talking about does, it registers people to vote at naturalization ceremonies. Now, now if they're at a naturalization ceremony, they're citizens, but uh, basically you have the Department of Homeland Security, they're tasked with making sure that they vote, and potentially encouraging them to vote a certain way. Uh, you, you have the Justice Department under this Biden executive order uh, directing prisoners who are getting released uh, how they can sign up to vote. You have uh, the Department of Education working on getting college students to vote uh, and so forth. Uh, and I, this, again, this might sound on one level benevolent, but uh, it is basically the government, the force of the government, trying to drive out their own constituency, a constituency for one party. I'm talking to Fred Lucas, and Fred, of course, is with the Daily Signal, and his book is called The Myth of Voter Suppression. But one of the ways you can work, if you're working as one of these poll workers or if you're working to encourage people to vote, it doesn't take too much to tilt your efforts in favor of voters who are more likely to be Democrats than Republicans because anybody who wants to can go down and get a list of, you know, or maps of where, where, what are precincts that are heavily Democratic, what are precincts that are heavily Republican. If you focus your efforts in one area, it'll look the same from the outside, but you'll end up on average getting a lot more Democrat votes than you will Republican votes. And the last presidential election, there was only four and a half percent difference between the two candidates, if you believe the numbers from the 2020 election. So tilting at a couple of percentage points, one direction or the other, could make all the difference in the world. Yeah, and and, and one thing, uh, this OPM uh, directive, it does not distinguish uh, career federal employees from a political federal employees. So, I mean... Uh, or do you have a secretary Moriortis, uh sitting there as a poll worker? Do you think he's going to check anybody's ID no. <laughs> or, or see if they're a citizen? <laughs> he doesn't check. Well, their, and, their and the other now, thing, Fred, but... is you know that OPM was saying a lot of private companies are giving people time off to vote. You know, uh, okay, private companies can do what they want under the Hatch Act. 
Can they can can federal bureaucracies literally well, say to their employees, we're giving you time off paid for by the taxpayers to go vote? Isn't that a violation of the Hatch Act using public resources that's, that's, to encourage that? That's a very big question. Uh, the Hatch Act, the way they might be able to get around that is saying, well, we're not telling them who to vote for. Uh, it's not, not partisan political activity. Uh, but, yeah, but uh, the Hatch Act, uh, just explain the briefly, they, it's a law that prohibits partisan political activity by federal employees on federal time using federal resources. Well, if they're and, getting paid to go to, um, to and, go and vote, yeah, isn't, that, right, isn't right. that use of public resources it, for part, it, partisan it, activity? It very well could be. It very well could be. I mean, this is something that would have to be litigated and investigated uh, as to whether it's partisan. I mean, you could say, well, you're voting and you can vote however you want. I think it would be how the government would respond. Except we know that most federal employees are registered Democrats, which means even if you got a few Republicans voting as well, it's going to benefit overall the Democrat Party. That's Fred Lucas, the author of The Myth of Voter Suppression. He is the chief news correspondent for The Daily Signal. Fred, it's a pleasure. Thanks very much for the time. Back in a moment, we'll get to your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. Send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And you're listening to the Radio Northwest Network. When it comes time to with me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Right on the left coast. Get it? Here's Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on a Tuesday and always glad to get your calls as well. Our Twitter poll or X poll these days, since they changed the name, should lawmakers in Oregon and Washington offer up tax relief to citizens? Oregon already has some of that baked into the Constitution in the form of the kicker. But when Oregon finds itself awash in tax revenue, so much so that Governor Tina Kotek is talking about helping out the city of Salem because they're running a, a gigantic budget deficit you know where's she getting that money from everybody else in the state well if the citizens in salem have said we don't want to raise our own taxes that's their choice and if the consequence of that is they lose some services then that's the consequence should everybody else pay to make up the difference well in washington state the legislature is sitting on a surplus of 1.3 billion dollars and what's being suggested by, it turns out, at least one Democrat, Mark Mullet, Democrat of Issaquah, but also a few other Republicans have said, well, why don't we take that money 
and find a way to hand it back to the people who paid the monies. Uh, one proposal is to send checks to everybody in the state who has a registered car because they're the ones who paid most of that excess in in the uh, carbon tax. Uh, that added to the price of gasoline by about 50 cents a gallon, even though Jay Inslee will lie about that one all day long and twice on Sunday. So the question is, should lawmakers in both Oregon and Washington offer up some tax relief to citizens? I don't have to ask about Idaho, because in Idaho, they have been consistently reducing their taxes, whereas both Oregon and Washington have added millions of dollars of new taxes and fees. So I would say yes, they should offer up some tax relief to citizens. The poll is brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at ultimatetruckservice.com. Yesterday, about Lloyd Austin, we didn't know then why he was in the hospital in late December, right before Christmas. Turns out he went in for prostate surgery, and then when he got out, he was in great pain on New Year's Day, so he went back to the hospital, went into intensive care. Joe Biden was not notified. And in fact, Lloyd Austin, Defense Secretary of the United States, his deputy defense secretary, uh, was on vacation and she wasn't notified that he spent four days in intensive care without anybody at the White House or apparently some members of his own staff. Should Biden fire him for that? 89% of you said yes. Only 11% of you said no. Here calls now. Let's go to Tony in McMinnville listening on the Radio Northwest Network and our flagship station, KXL. Hey, Tony, what's on your mind today? Lars, um, you're right about 70% of the time. So I'm going to make a couple of statements. <laughs> okay. and then Thank you, you for comment. that. Uh, you're welcome. Best endorsement uh, I've had all day. Good. Glad you liked it. Anyway, so don't take up all my segment when you're talking. Um, so I'm going to call you out on your efficiency about technology. Which efficiency? About Well, the segment you had a little while ago, you were talking about how technology has made our lives more efficient. Yes. Uh, vehicles and such. So and almost that's everything that's that technology accurate. touches has become more efficient. Yep. No, that's not true. Um, cell phones are not more efficient. They, we drop calls, and if we're going to have autonomous calls on cell, a cell phone that can't even keep a phone call. Are you telling me that cell phones today are not better than cell phones 10 years ago, say? That's correct. You're right. Yeah. They're, they drop they're calls not. more frequently. Yes, sir. They drop calls way more frequently. Anyway. That's not what I'm calling for. I'm calling for vehicles are not more efficient because in the 90s we had two vehicles that I can think of, possibly more, that got 50 miles to the gallon. One was a uh, Suzuki Swift slash Geo Metro, and the other one was a Honda Civic, I think, HX or HV. It got 50 miles to the gallon in the 90s. And do you know why they got that mileage? I think I can tell you. And they were carbureted. They weren't. No, even hold on, T Tony. I think I can tell you why they got better mileage, and and there's a reason. And part of it is a trade-off. So when I say more efficient, is a car that weighs half as much much more efficient on mileage? I yes, it is. Is it also weight. much? I already gave you the oh, you don't. Okay. I already gave ahead. you the weight. I already gave you the weight. The weight, correct. My point is. They still made them 50 miles to the gallon. I don't care if they weighed less or not. It doesn't matter. Well, you it's do care the because the less it weighs, the more likely the you 90s. are to end up dead in a crash. <laughs> well, we could have got more airbags in them. How's that? Well, so, it's not know. airbags alone. Tony, if you're so sitting people, in a so little teeny tiny... Well, so I, I guess what, what, are you trying to, what are you trying to say? 
uh, about about people efficiency. Die, people don't die in cars today. To your argument, yeah, fewer people do. Car automobile. I look at the statistics, Tony. I watch the statistics. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Well, hold anyway, on. What so would you base your answer if if not statistics for for deaths and injury? What what would you use to determine whether or not people are safer in cars today than they were, say, twenty years ago or thirty years ago? The in your miles, example, the miles driven, I guess. The miles driven. Yeah, and when you look at miles driven, so you could drive, you could drive more miles on a dollar. You could drive more miles on a dollar. Yeah, but, but see, and see and now you're saying no. Anyway, you're, we can talk safety, was, or we can talk the cost of driving. I know T your, Tony does. Your other statement about the, yes. the lady that called in about the jumper. Yes. Uh, all the dollars that were wasted in. Uh, I didn't uh, talk about dollars at all. I said she said the police are short of resources. resources. I said, well, there were a lot of police tied up for ten hours on that guy on the bridge. The same difference, Lars. Resources. That's dollars. Anyway, they tied up the dollars for the police. What about the commerce that was interrupted? Well, I, that's in there as well, Tony. I don't think that bridge should have been jammed up for 10 hours. And if somebody jammed it up for 10 hours and was not mentally ill, and he wasn't, then he should suffer the consequences for having committed that crime. Tony, thanks for the call. Uh, interesting naysayer. You got the Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Quiet, please. Ladies and gentlemen, you ready for the big show? In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. This is the Lars Larson Show. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Lars. And now. Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. Almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Radio Northwest Network. It's a pleasure to be with you on a Tuesday, and I'm always glad to get to your phone calls and your emails at 866-HEY-LARS. And if you're a naysayer, you go right to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And join me in welcoming my brother in talk, the great Hoff, the Hoff father. Yeah, it's hard to say your, your uh, ex uh, your ex handle, Ari. I have to tell you that. How are you? <laughs> Thanks, Ari buddy. Hoffman, Good to talk to you. Who's on our Seattle affiliate KVI. I've been, uh, I've been really angry, and I'll admit I'm angry about it, that the police in both Portland and Seattle have been allowing 
uh, these so-called protesters, the ones who are out advocating for Hamas terrorists and, and causes like that, they get away not with murder yet, but real close. And they really put, I think, Seattle in danger uh, on Saturday when they jammed up Interstate 5 for five hours and the police did nothing. Have you been able to get any kind of satisfaction, satisfactory answer as to why the police stood by and did nothing? Not at all. And in fact, it got worse today. So this morning, the Washington State Patrol has been getting slammed so hard for this. They, they wrote an after action report and released it on their website. All it shows is how unprepared they were for this. And you would think after the summer of 2020, after what's been going on every single weekend, you would have been prepared for something. I understand if you don't know specifically what they're going to do, but their MO has been marching and vandalizing, and this is a failure of every single law enforcement agency. So let's go through it for a second. Sure. Seattle Police, they knew these guys were going to go to a Starbucks in Capitol Hill, and what they usually do is vandalize the places and then march somewhere. So the Starbucks was smart. They closed up, they boarded up, and the people vandalized the boards they put on top. No arrests made. Then as they start blocking intersections, no arrests made. Then, as they start going to the highway, no arrests made. Now, I have one source that told me that's because they got a stand-down order from Bruce Harrell. His office hasn't gone back to me to weigh the in mayor. on that at all. Yeah. yeah, the mayor of Seattle. But then it gets worse. King County Sheriff. King County Sheriff's office was working with the Washington State Patrol, just like Seattle was, and they, under their under the Washington State Patrol's guidance, were told to block the freeway entrances once the protesters were already on the freeway to prevent cars from hitting the protesters. So, so they were facilitating, the aiding, and abetting the the blockage of the freeway. Exactly. And then when I reach out to Dow Constantine for comment and the sheriff's department, they don't want to comment about this at all. They just say, well, this is what we're doing. We respect everybody's right to peacefully protest. It's not peaceful when you're blocking people, when you're trapping people like that. Then we come to the Washington State Patrol. The Washington State Patrol just seems to have said, okay, do whatever you guys want for a few hours because we can't do anything about it. The crux of that report that's online is we weren't prepared for this. We weren't prepared for this. We weren't prepared for that. So we did nothing. And as much as I want to blame elected officials, which I'm sure there's plenty of blame to go around, yet Bruce Harrell was hanging out at the Huskies game and not actually involved in any of this. Jay Inslee has a track record of closing the freeway for protesters he like he did in 2020. Right, yep. he's not going to comment. But then what ends up happening is you look at how unprepared law enforcement was. And well, look, Lars, I don't know if you do the same Ari, thing let, I me, do. let me interrupt yeah. for a second. How much preparation do you need? to say we've had the freeway blocked before. It's happened in Portland, it's happened in Seattle. In fact, a person got killed, uh, as I recall, in the summer of 2020 because of one of these freeway blockages. On uh, uh, It was one of the protesters who got killed, uh, as I recall. But how much preparation do you need to say we're not going to let a bunch of hooligans block Interstate 5? How much preparation do you have to have? Right. You have Lincoln Towing and other contractors that are under contract to the city. You bring them out to tow the cars they parked on the freeway. That should be a no-brainer. The other thing you should do is call King County Metro and say, bring us five buses. We're arresting everybody. Yep. And they didn't do that. It and you zip, that you zip cuff. What's the most far-flung police precinct inside of Seattle? Do you know? Where, where's the one that's from farthest there? from anything? I'd say the South Precinct is farthest away from any of this, the Southwest Precinct, and they're still only 20 minutes out. See, oh, but what I'm suggesting is this. You bring in the Metro buses. I've made this suggestion before, and, and people say, well, what are you going to do, write them a ticket? I say, yeah, write them a ticket, put them in zip cups, put them on a bus, and say, take them down to that precinct. And do what? Release them. Yeah. Take them down, release them. Now, 
You've cited them. That's legal. They've broken the law. That's in the law. And you've cut them loose at a way at a place away from their protests, some distance. And when they say, how do we get back? That's your problem. Call an Uber. You know, and yeah. and you they could have done that with the resources they have. In fact, if they had the on ramps blocked, they could have said, bring up the, the buses and the police at the on ramps. Let the buses on. These will be our mobile paddy wagons. And we'll just load up a bunch of zip cuffed nut knuckleheads and, and take them down and, and cut them loose a few miles away. Right. Like, look at New York City. So New York City yesterday had the Holland Tunnel, the Williamsburg Bridge, and the Brooklyn Bridge, which have far more traffic than I-5 on a Sunday. And that was during rush hour on a Monday in New York. And what happens? Within an hour, the New York Police Department had everybody in handcuffs or zip ties. Seattle, that highway was closed for six hours. For six hours and nobody was arrested and then even worse they left their cars behind which have tons of identifying marks assuming they didn't buy them at auction or something and they could have arrested those guys right away and they didn't they could have arrested them yesterday and they didn't they could have arrested them today and they didn't so the question is are they ever going to see any justice no and and here's the prediction i'd make and and it's in fact i was talking about this earlier today ari is if you're a parent and your child begins to behave because these are these are people are behaving like children and you don't correct their behavior and there isn't a consequence, should you expect them to do it again? And the answer is yes. So King County Sheriff's Department, King County itself, because the sheriff is no longer an elected official in King County. She's appointed. And you've got Dow Constein, Bruce Harrell and all these jokers. They're inviting more of this in an election year. They're asking for people to get hurt or maybe even killed. Yeah, and worse than that, some of the people participating in this were teachers of Seattle public schools. And then those are the people instructing a new generation of kids to do this kind of stuff, to be activists, and they're bragging about it. They're gloating about it on social media. You can see what they post about it and how happy they are they got away with it and what action they have planned next. See, and if the Seattle public schools did, uh, my boss has what's called a moral turpitude clause in my, in, in my contract. And if I go out and do something to bring shame on this, you know, on, on the radio station or the network, um, they, they can fire me. And you say, well, how would they be able to do that? I said, I go out and do something crazy. You know, you go out and use yeah. uh, the front steps of City Hall, Seattle as a toilet. That's going to get you fired. So don't do it. If you're a teacher and you engaged in that kind of bad behavior, should you at least get a letter in your file or something? Like you said, I think they'll be celebrated within the ranks of the teachers union, and they'll be telling the kids, this is what you ought to do. Go out and cause chaos. It's anarchy. All right, thanks so much for what you do, and thanks for batting cleanup after me today. I appreciate it. <laughs> Always a pleasure, buddy. Thanks for being the leadoff. That is my talk friend, Ari Hoffman, at our Seattle affiliate, KVI. Now, I'll tell you what, I would take a naysayer call on that. If somebody wants to suggest that it's a legitimate form of free speech to block a major freeway and put people's lives at risk if emergency services cannot respond and block up hundreds or thousands of people because you have a political message you want people to hear. Anybody thinks that's legit, call me up, 866-HEY-LARS. And coming up, Joe Biden's re-election campaign gets desperate. I'll tell you the latest indication.
With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you're in an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com. View the videos and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Eadtruth.org. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Google. Yeah, he's everywhere. The Lars Larson Podcast. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. Well, now Joe Biden's re-election campaign already 10 months out has grown so desperate that they're actually calling in reporters from major news organizations to have a little session in the woodshed is the way I describe it. They're going to call them in and they have been doing this to tell them they're not covering the news stories about both Donald Trump and Joe Biden the right way. Now, imagine imagine the temerity of a, an American president saying, I'm going to tell the media how they're to cover a story. Now, I know that some of you are going to say, well, Donald Trump used to criticize the news media. Yeah, he did. He criticized them and said, you're not telling the truth. Now, did he tell them, I'm going to tell you how to tell the truth? No. He just said, when you don't tell the truth, I'm going to call you out on it. And we all applauded that. But here's Joe Biden, who wants to do this behind the scenes, or at least his campaign does. So they call reporters in. Let me get into the details of that in just a moment. First, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. It's a great pleasure to be with you. If you want to join this conversation, it's the best conversation in talk journalism at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. And if you happen to be a naysayer, I'm going to put you right to the head of the line. If you want to send an email instead, talk at LarsLarson.com. And you can vote in our X poll, the poll on X, as we're now calling what we used to call the Twitter poll. You can find that at Lars Larson Show, that's our handle, or on my website at LarsLarson.com. But I want you to consider how dangerous this is. When the Biden re-election campaign, and they know every reporter who gets one of these woodshed sessions with the president or with his staff members, staff members from his campaign, understands who that represents. It represents the single most powerful official on planet Earth. So... Here's the way it's being reported. Eddie Scary is a, one of our favorite reporters at The Federalist. He said a short item this week on the news site Semaphore had an interesting way of describing the existing dynamic between the national news media and Joe Biden's angry reelection campaign. And if you watched part of or all of Friday's speech and yesterday's speech, you understand this is an angry campaign that condemns more than half of all Americans as being anti-American white supremacist, MAGA, you know, all the usual disparaging terms that somehow Joe Biden and his campaign believe that if you start to disparage Americans and say, 
while you're bad people, if you believe in these things, if you think differently than we are, here's what it says. It says that Joe Biden's campaign has, quote, begun organizing a series of off-the-record trips for top political reporters and editors to meet up at the campaign headquarters of Joe Biden in Wilmington, Delaware, for the purpose of what are being described as background briefings on campaign strategy. Now, that sounds kind of harmless. Okay, you're covering the campaign. We'll tell you about how we're running the campaign. The only problem is that's not what they're doing. What they're doing is calling the reporters in. So he says, for example, I'd like to think that the person who authored this article is just hopelessly naive, but it's Ben Smith who's been running in these circles for about three lifetimes. So he certainly knows that contrary to his depiction, these aren't boring scenes where curious reporters show up to get a rundown on Joe Biden's campaign schedule and his campaign themes. That's not what happens. And in fact, there's been other reporting that I've looked at in the last couple of days. What they're doing is the nation's most influential media outlets, according to Ed's, Eddie Scary, send representatives to a Democratic candidate facilities, in this case, Biden's campaign headquarters, to coordinate what their coming news coverage should look like, according to the preferences of the Democrats. Now, I'd be lying to you if I told you that back when I was a reporter, uh, I didn't do a lot of full-time campaign coverage, even at the local level, um, and I certainly have never been out on the campaign trail with a presidential campaign. I would cover them when they came to the town I lived in, and that was that. But you would occasionally have conversations with people from campaigns. But they didn't dare tell you, this is what we want your story to look like. These are the things you should feature in a story about Joe Biden. And these are the things you ought to be saying about Donald Trump. So he wrote, campaign officials have chafed at some of the coverage of former President Donald Trump, feeling that the outlets, meaning the news organizations, are too focused on his legal troubles and have not paid nearly enough attention to some of his incendiary recent statements on the campaign trail. So the Biden campaign doesn't like the way that the reporters are covering Donald Trump. Too bad. So what? In other words, he says, CNN and MSNBC are about to start showing a lot more clips from Trump campaign rallies, wherein he says something that's supposed to, supposed to offend the audience. The only thing is, and if it doesn't, no problem, Jake Tapper and Joe, Joe Scarborough will be on hand to helpfully explain why this should offend you over and over and over again. So the Biden White House wants to, through the campaign, they want to tell the news media, Here's how we want you to cover Joe. Ignore the fact that he's demented. Ignore the fact that he's losing his mind. Ignore the fact that he doesn't seem to be tuned in to much of what is going on in this country. To the point where he believes that America has an economy that's just booming and everything is going well. He can ignore the fact that mortgage interest rates allowing people to buy homes or not are more than double what they were when Joe Biden took office. That gasoline prices are at least 40% higher than they were when Joe Biden took office. That Joe Biden has regularly and routinely lied to the general public. Now, I, if, if you want to challenge me on this, say, well, he's not really lying. Let me tell you something. In the summer of 2021, his first full year in office, um, he told reporters who asked about inflation, this is temporary. It's going to go back down. It has not. It has continued to be high. 
And I know that some of you are going to say, well, it's lower this year, 2024, than it was in 2023. Yes, it is. It's gotten all the way down to about 3.5%, which is only about 60% higher than it was the day he took office. So groceries cost, on average, 20% more. Mortgages cost more than 100% more. Gasoline is more than 40% more than the day Joe Biden took office. And most of those changes are tied directly back to the actions of Joe Biden. So, for example, just in the last couple of days, and Eddie Scary offers these examples where the media is apparently taking the marching orders of the Biden campaign. So the Associated Press said, Senate border security talks grind on, oh, boring, as Trump invokes Nazi-era blood rhetoric against immigrants. The Washington Post on December the 18th, that language has caused alarm among some civil rights advocates and immigrant groups who have compared it to the writings of Adolf Hitler. Yep, they got to use the Hitler comparison. So all of this even though it's Joe Biden who is telling you why the other side is going to take away your right to vote. This is the one I find most laughable in a strange way. You've got Maine and Colorado at the behest of the Democrats who've tried to take Donald Trump off the ballot. And then Joe Biden shows up at two campaign speeches in the last four days to warn Americans that Donald Trump is trying to take away your right to vote. Excuse me, but when your party is taking a man's name off the ballot, who is it that's stealing the right to vote of Americans and the right to decide who they want as the leader of their country? I'd say it's Joe Biden and the Democrats. Glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. The Lars Larson Show. In a rocky political climate, he's the steamroller. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the program. Glad to be with you and always glad to get to your calls. We'll do that in the next segment. But I want to tell you something. I hate the budget deal that has been cut on Capitol Hill. Now, I made that clear because I want Romina Baccia to know where I'm coming from. She's director of budget and entitlements at the Cato Institute, and we talk to her about budget issues from time to time. Romina, it's good to have you back, and Happy New Year. Oh, thank you. Happy New Year to you. It looks like Congress is going to keep spending. What else is new? <laughs> yeah, what else is new except that have we now normed this stuff to the point where People just say, oh, just get this over with, just cut some kind of deal, because the deal that they've locked us into is not just for this budget. This kind of sets things in motion in ways that, that aren't going to be very easy or even possible to undo uh, in, in the years and decades ahead. Am I right? You know, I would argue that it is continuing business as usual. And I think this is where Speaker Johnson is finding himself uh, in striking this deal. It's like, is it is it the best deal he can get, given that the Senate is um, under control by Democrats and you have Biden in the White House? Like, how much leverage do House Republicans really have? It is a better deal than McCarthy struck uh, in May with the debt limit deal, once you account for all the side deals, et cetera. 
And uh, from that perspective, I mean, it's nowhere near what we wanted, what we asked for, which was, you know, cut spending down to pre-pandemic levels. The pandemic is over. We should go back to the fiscal year 2019 level now. Um, we can't afford to continue spending at this rate. The deficit is at over $2 trillion now and growing from here. And uh, But, you know, the House Republicans pushed, 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 and now we're in uh, January, four months into the fiscal year, and still spending bills haven't been passed. So it's sort of like the, rock, the, the speaker is between a rock and a hard place. I have to find a deal that uh, the Democrats will go along with, and that's the deal we've gotten. So there's some small wins for fiscal restraint, but mostly it's just business as usual. And uh, sort of like, you know, the Democrats' negotiating position was a lot more spending, blow up the caps, uh, put put a bunch more emergency spending in addition to the deal that they agreed to. And it looks like, um, you know, Democrats have the upper hand in these negotiations. You know, I, how much above... Pre-pandemic levels are we, even if, if you add in inflation or don't add in inflation, how much above are we? Are we a trillion above pre-pandemic or two? So in, so just looking at discretionary spending, which is roughly one-third of the budget, because that's right. all that the uh, members of Congress are talking about right now, right? The other part of spending is growing on autopilot. That's a whole other story. That's Social Security, uh, that's, Medicare, yeah. and things, and federal Interest pensions and all debt. those things. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So just looking at discretionary spending, which the biggest chunk of that is defense. And then you have a bunch of non-defense programs, which include actually veterans health care and other benefits, uh, Medicaid, as well as uh, a slew of various federal subsidy programs from energy subsidies to uh, transportation, et cetera. But just looking at that 30 percent of the budget, we're about 300 billion above uh, pre-pandemic levels, but that's without accounting for inflation. And that's something also where Republicans are saying, look, we do want to be honest about how much more we're spending. And yes, inflation is also something that the government should take responsibility for. Um, but if you actually take into account that we've had about 20% inflation since 2020, then, uh, you know, this deal maybe doesn't look as bad as it potentially could. Because so much of the extra spending does get eaten up by inflation. The federal government is, of course, affected by this as a purchaser of goods and services just as much as the American people are, except unlike the American people, the government can just print more money, right, which is where we got this inflation in the first place. Yeah, and, and more spending equals more inflation equals more spending. It's like a, it, it's, it's a loop. That we're stuck in, but you know, Ramina, maybe I'm suggesting something that isn't even you know politically possible. But I think all of us out here in the real world, this is the way I'd look at it. I wish the Republicans would pass an actual responsible budget. And you say, but it's going to get shot down in the Senate. You say, so be it. Let it get shot down, but 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 get them to vote on it. You know, make the Republicans and the Democrats vote on it. The Republicans will vote for a responsible spending package that's a lot smaller. The Democrats will vote against it, and you'll tell the American people, we gave them a budget. It was a good budget. It was a responsible budget. It brought spending down, and they shot it down. So now we're going to pass this one instead. At least then, you because right now, the perception I hear is, well, the Republicans are participating in this budget excess because they just seem to say, well, 
What will the Democrats say yes to? And then they, they pass a budget that, that meets that. I wish, but, but maybe it's not politically possible to tell the Republicans, take your, your tiny majority in the House and pass a responsible budget. Send it to the Senate, let it get shot down, and then make the case to the American people. We gave them a responsible budget. This is what we did. We were trying to bring us we spending back within our means, uh, and the Democrats shut it down. So now they own it. You know, that's, that's exactly the strategy that McCarthy used back in April. And Republicans voted for that budget proposal. And, and then they, they, they held on to that. And when McCarthy wasn't able to strike a final deal with Democrats that looked like that House Republican passed budget proposal, they ousted him. So I'm thinking that maybe that's something that Speaker Johnson is looking at and saying, hmm, McCarthy tried this approach. It didn't work. Let me try a different approach because, you know, there's only so much time left in this year um, where can we really afford to lose another speaker? <laughs> no. And, and do you think we're going to lose another speaker? Well, it doesn't it doesn't look that way. But with the strategy that McCarthy used, if you if you give Republicans what they say that they want and then they latch on to that and then they hold you accountable when that's not what you're able to deliver. Um, I think that puts uh, that puts Speaker Johnson in, in a much worse place. Now he's saying, look, we negotiated with the Democrats. We negotiate with the White House. We've come up with a deal all four corners can agree to. It's not, you know, ideal. It's not, um, but it's also not as worse as it could, be, could have been. It's, you know, business as usual. And so deal with it. You know, the big picture, too, is here that I don't think all is lost yet because, Again, you said, you know, how much more we're spending on the entire federal budget. That's really where the key spending growth is. Discretionary spending, yes, it has been growing, especially during the pandemic, but still the biggest drivers of our debt are the, the growth and interest on the debt, yep. which is, uh, and the entitlements, which are, you know, responsible for some of that. And, and there, you know, Speaker Johnson has his eye on a much bigger ball, and that is a fiscal commission to stabilize the debt over the next decade. And that's something that the, that the Republicans in the House are, are trying to push right now. And there's also bipartisan support in the Senate. So, you know, this, this spending deal that was struck only lays out spending through September. But if uh, Congress can pass a fiscal commission that establishes you know, a process that allows them to tackle the biggest drivers of spending growth and debt, Medicare, Social Security, Medicaid, and do so in a way that's sustainable over the long term, that's going to be a much bigger win than, you know, this uh, the short-term spending bill. We've only got about, you know, eight and a half months left in the fiscal year anyways. Yeah, people need to be reminded uh, the federal government doesn't operate on a calendar year. If you didn't know, October 1 is the beginning of the new federal year when it comes to budgets. Ramina, thanks for what you do at the Cato Institute, and we appreciate your insights. Thank you for having me. Yes, ma'am. That's Ramina Bacha, Director of Budget and Entitlements at the Cato Institute. And I'm sure to hear from some people who say, you can't call Social Security an entitlement. Well, you're entitled to it, aren't you? That's why they call it an entitlement. Back in a moment, and by the way, that's two-thirds of the federal budget. What part of that do you want to cut? Whose grandma loses her check? You're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network.
If you've got... I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Wise words from President Reagan. We the people tell the government what to do. It doesn't tell us. We the people are the driver. The government is the car. And we decide where it should go. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the program. Glad to be with you and always glad to get you your calls. I want to get to a naysayer here in just a moment. But our poll on X, which is what we call the old Twitter poll, should lawmakers in Oregon and Washington offer up some tax relief to citizens? People like House Minority Leader Drew Stokesbury, who is a Republican from Auburn in Washington State, says, look, we're sitting on a $1.3 billion surplus. How about we send some of it back to the taxpayers. There are even Democrats, believe it or not, like Senator Mark Mullet, Democrat of Issaquah, who says, yeah, we ought to send some of this money back. And in Oregon, the state government is required to send some of the money back in the kicker. But the state of Oregon is sitting on a massive surplus. Well, why don't they send some of the money back to the taxpayers? Not just the kicker, but some beyond that. Instead, most of the Democrats are saying, why don't we figure a new way to steal the kicker out from under them? In the meantime, I want to get to your calls at 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Vote in our Twitter poll. Elma from Kenmore, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? Oh, thank you for having me. Oh, I have a lot on my mind, but I'll, I won't get it all said this year. But I don't think Biden went down there to discriminate against people voting. I think he just went down there to do his due diligence. I can't believe I, in my, I'm 78 this year, and I walked Happy the street birthday. over there on Rainier. Thank you, honey. I walked the street on Rainier. My husband, he's dead. We walked for the right to vote. And all these new laws they have, no, I don't know exactly all of them, they're keeping me and my children from voting. You know what, Lawrence? I really appreciate your program. But I can understand how Republicans can let their children believe that a man like Donald Trump and be a Christian. And they say they're Christian. He lies. He does all these bad things. And the Republicans, they used to be a real party. No, tell me this, though, Alma. Alma, who is, now Joe Biden okay. claims to be a Catholic, but he believes in abortion. Yes. Does that make sense to you? I, I came to be a Christian. I believe in abortions. I had one. How do you square that up? How do you, how do you square that up with your belief in Christianity if you believe in killing unborn babies who haven't done anything wrong? Well, well, and that's true, but how do you square up a lot of things? You can't square up a lot of things. But when I had my abortions, I was, abortion, I was younger, I had quite a few kids, and I said, okay, I did it. And if I still say, if this is my choice, if I choose to do it, no one else has that choice. 
A man can't make a baby. He can make a baby. He can't carry He makes a half of it, Alma. In your case, I'm guessing there was at least one man. There had to be a man who, who did half. So is, is it truly, I'm just curious if you believe that baby growing inside of you is half you, but it's half the father as well. So how is it your choice to kill that child? Well, I was very, I, was, I must say I was dishonest, but at the time I would do it again because under the circumstances I was trying to educate. I have seven children, and I was trying to, you know, put things together. But I think my choice would have been his choice at the time. And I think nobody, it might have nobody been, but, my body. But why is it your choice? Body. It's your body, but it has a child in it that's part you and part the father. Correct. The father can walk off any day. You get this. The father can walk just like the, the people that's trying to tell you when and when not to have an abortion. That's not fair. You can't tell a woman what to do with her body. I can't tell well, a man. I think what I can to, because I if the woman is going to murder somebody, I think I can tell her you're not allowed to murder, and I consider it murder. That's a. But let me ask you about you. You started with with Joe Biden wanting to take away, not wanting to take away people's right to vote. Alma, do you know that it's Joe Biden's Democrats in Washington state who right now are proposing to take Donald Trump off the ballot? Now, tell me how you can tell Americans, I want you to be able to vote, but I'm going to decide who you're allowed to vote for and who you're not allowed to vote for. How is that legitimate? He, com he committed a crime. He what did crime? No, Alma, Alma, tell me the crime. Alma, tell me the crime. You know, Lars, I could sit here all day, all No, day, but I want you to tell me the crime. I know what you're talking about, but tell me the crime. Insurrection. Yeah, okay, he, but hold he, on, he, Alma, he, Alma. Insurrection, Alma's, uh, insurrection is a federal crime. Has Joe Biden's DOJ charged Donald Trump with insurrection? Not yet, but I hope they not do. Not yet. I They're not going to. Trump. And Alma, can you, can a man... You know, I mean, listen, black Americans have been especially suspect, subject to this. Can a man be found guilty of a crime without being accused of it and having a trial? Well, you know, under the circumstances, this man is guilty on all charges. No, no but Alma, so Alma, you're you telling me he's can guilty of a hard. crime he's you never been accused of. How can he be guilty you, of a crime? Go ahead. Lawrence, can I say this? You're going to trust Donald Trump if he goes out and, like he said, shoot somebody in New York at times. Well, that, you know that he was engaging in hyperbole, and I'll bet you've engaged in hyperbole as well, haven't you? Yeah. I mean, all of us yes, engage in hyperbole. No big deal. But, Alma, I, I want to go back to this. There were many black Americans who were thrown in jail or, in some cases, hanged because they were accused by the community of committing crime, but they were never indicted. They never got a trial. They never got any of that. And we said that was wrong to, to say this person's guilty because we say he's guilty. How can you convict Donald Trump of the crime of insurrection, a crime he's never been accused of, never been tried for, and never been found guilty of? Well, okay, can I say this, Lars? There are white people that are accused of crime that they didn't do. We can't use that as an example. Donald Trump is guilty, and you, we all know What's, that. But, but you, when was he convicted of that crime, Alma? When was he convicted?
You're telling me he's guilty of a crime he's never been convicted of? Talk about a kangaroo court. Alma, you're the best. Thank you. The Lars Larson Show. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com. View the videos and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com.